0: All right, you may be seated and give Jeremy a chance to catch his breath here and everybody settle in. Uh, if you have your journals, you may want to take some notes uh, this morning and we'll, I see I'm bringing the lights up right now. You may have enough light there to write with just with what you've got right now. If anybody needs more light, just throw something upstairs over the ledge and they'll, everybody okay likewise? Yeah, you got enough to write with, All right, Nathan's very attuned to your needs right now. So, let's, it's First Corinthians chapter number 12, and uh, uh, we'll just all, just like we do upstairs.
1: Yeah, well, I guess this is kind of a fun thing, because you're used to us doing this in a podcast. In a podcast. We're not, I feel like I should say, you're listening to Cornerstone Conversations. Um, however. I'm joined right now. I'm joined by my co-host. Yeah. Uh, however, we're not going to do a podcast this week, because this kind of is the podcast. Here we are.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and this would look much like how we would prep both for the sermon and the podcast. We write the sermon. We go through this process to write the sermon, uh, to figure out what the text is saying, and I'll talk to you more about that in just a moment. And then we edit it down to what you can deliver in a reasonable amount of time, what gets left on the cutting room floor. used to just go away, and now it goes to the podcast. So what we talk about for an hour every week in the podcast, and then you edit the podcast. Like this week, we went an hour and a half in the podcast, and then you shrunk it right down, didn't Oh, it you? was longer than an hour and a half. It was an hour half. and a half? Yeah. Once we started talking, we just put it all out there, and Jeremy chops it back down again for us. So, here's the question I want to ask you as we begin, because this is uh, very much in keeping with 1 Corinthians. Uh, we've told you there's a back story to this book. It's called Zero Corinthians, that's what we called it. There's a lot of exchanges, four, five, six, or more, at least uh communiques have gone back and forth letters in person reports visits etc we call that whole body of work zero corinthians because it precedes first corinthians we just don't know what's in it we have to reconstruct it based on what we're reading here but if i ask you this question you'll be right in tune with what's going on in corinth here's my question for you this morning are you a spiritual person So now you've answered it already in your heart, and I guess this would be my follow-on then. How do you quantify that? I'm guessing you said yes to that question. Now my question is, how do you know that you're a spiritual person? By what standard have you now said yes before God in the house of God to that question and said, yes, I'm a spiritual person. How do you know that? What are you judging that by? How are you quantifying or qualifying your answer to that question? Now you've gotten right to the heart of the First Corinthians conversation. The chapter's beautiful. The chapter's a bit controversial. Uh, 12 and 14 that we have to deal with. 14's the follow-on. 13's really the punchline to the whole book. Pastor Jeremy will deal with that in two weeks. I'll deal with 14 next week, which is a continuation of this conversation. Now, here's the problem at Corinth. The Corinthians thought that being a spiritual person was, and I'll give you some options, that we can reconstruct from the text. Either you have a a very, very special spiritual gift. Mm -hmm. Are you a spiritual person? Yes, how do you know? Because I have this yeah. Spiritual, right. what do you call it, David? Spiritual uh, superpower. Superpower. Yeah. Spirit, I have this yeah. mega spiritual gift that's better than all of your other spiritual gifts. Right. Or they would right. answer the question this way: How do you know you're a spiritual person down there at Corinth? Well, we have elite wisdom, mm-hmm. Greek sophia. Yep. We are wise beyond everyone else, and that's why the first four chapters of First Corinthians, Paul is using this language: God has confounded the wise. Right. He has choo- chosen the foolish of the world. And that's why you have that long-running conversation. He's answering their yes. misappropriation of, sure, we're spiritual people. Or maybe thirdly, maybe, maybe if you said, hey, Joe from Corinth, are you a spiritual person? Sure. How do you know? Well, because now that I've received Christ, I, I now have transcended my natural body. And now I already live as the angelic beings. Right. I have shed my sexuality. I have shed my, uh, spirit, my fleshly appetites, mm-hmm. and now I am as the I speak even differently now. Sure. I speak an angelic language, yeah. and, and from those issues, and probably some other answers that they offered, there sprang all forms of aberrant behavior. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you think you're spiritual because and you get it wrong, then all kinds of aberrant behavior comes off of this. I'm spiritual because I'm like the angels. So what, what aberrant behavior sprang from that?
2: Yeah, so they would say, I can have sex with anybody I want, but also I'm going to stay abstinent. Prostitutes are inbounds. Right, but also I'm going to stay abstinent in my marriage. But no sex in marriage. Yeah, which is like, doesn't make any sense at all.
0: But those are the types of aberrant behaviors that spring from getting the question wrong. They would exercise their rights in public worship while trampling on the other church members' rights in worship.
1: Which this was uh, really well illustrated last week as we talked about the Lord's Supper and Communion, right? They felt as though they could, you know, lavish themselves with their own personal goodness without extending it to everyone else yeah. in the community. Sorry.
0: And if they said, you know, gift A is like the spiritual gift of all spiritual gifts, and we practice A, but Paul doesn't practice A. And then they said, well, see, Paul, you're not even a spiritual person. Because right. when you open the book and you see that's what's happening, you're like, how are they saying to the Apostle Paul, you're not spiritual, a spiritual person? This is like the best Christian example we have in the New Testament. Right. How are they saying you're not a spiritual person? Easy. They said, you have to have spiritual gift X or you're not a spiritual person. And see, Paul, when you came to Corinth and you displayed Christianity for us, you didn't display spiritual gift X, so therefore we're spiritual and you're not. If you get the answer wrong, it leads to all types of aberrant behavior. Chapter 11, you brought up, and turn me down just a little bit, chapter 11 he brought up, deals with two church traditions that ran amok, and it was something about equality that led to a dress code dispute. And then the last half of the chapter is uh, about the Lord's Supper, Mm -hmm. communion, Mm -hmm. and they got these two traditions so fouled up, Paul said... Okay, I want to praise you because you're keeping... The, never mind, I can't praise you at all in this. And just tries to straighten all that mess out. And, and because they had allowed a lot of socioeconomic stuff to drift in and you divided the congregation in haves and have-nots and who's going to dominate. And, and again, it's all because they're answering this question wrong. So what does it mean to be a spiritual person? The Corinthians clearly believed... That to be a spiritual person, you had to have the most elite spiritual gift of all. And that gift is?
1: Are you asking us or them? I don't know. <laughs> Speaking in tongues. Speaking in yeah. tongues.
0: I just want you to let that settle in for a minute. 1 Corinthians is written to answer this question. What does it mean to be spiritual? This is what this book is designed to answer. What does it mean to be spiritual? Here's how the Corinthians basically answered the question. You're a spiritual person if you have the most elite spiritual gift of all, and in our opinion, the most elite spiritual gift of all is speaking in tongues. If you speak in tongues, you are the spiritual people. And if you don't speak in tongues, you are not spiritual people. And that was their answer. Evidently, Paul in the public worship didn't speak in tongues because you know what they said to Paul? You're not a spiritual person. We are. Mm -hmm. Watch us go. See, we are spiritual people. You are not. Now, it'll take Paul, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, three running chapters, to dismantle their argument. We'll set the foundation for it this morning to dismantle their argument and put it back together again in a proper form. It takes him three chapters to try to correct this wrong thinking about tongues being this elite, as hmm. you said again, spiritual superpower. superpower yeah. This is reserved for only the elite of the right. elites. Right. I mean, those who are truly God's people on that highest level of spirituality, they speak in tongues, the rest of you do. Again, and so watch it divide the church. So let me ask a question how many of you don't speak in tongues? Now, do you see what a division that would make in this congregation? Mm. If we just said, y'all are down here on one tier of spirituality, but we have some church members, we have some cornerstone members that speak in tongues. They're welcome here. I'll answer that next week. It's a valid gift.
2: And I should say here, while they're dealing with that statement... I like the
0: tension. Let's just let the tension sit
2: for a minute. Chapter 12 anticipates 14. So you can't, you can't unhinge what Paul is going to say in chapter 12 from what he's about to address in chapter 14, if that makes sense. He, whatever we're about to talk about anticipates these two chapters working together in tandem.
0: You really can't get 14 right unless you get this whole it, body of body right. right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Okay, so what we're going to do this morning is uh, we're, we're, we're so glad this conversation is preserved in the Bible. Mm. Yeah, and, it is important. We spent two years recently, the last two years, studying just this book as a staff. Um, all of us, um, Susan, the Ericas, Rachel, all of us together studying through this for a couple of years. We've gone to trusted sources. We've read everything we could get our hands on to read. We've asked questions. We've sent have And all I want to say is we're glad this is recorded in Scripture because the Corinthians clearly have a problem about spiritual gifts. They're answering the questions with the wrong answers. Paul's giving them the right answers. We're glad we have this preserved for us because not only do the Corinthians have spiritual gifts wrong, we have them wrong. Not only do they need some edification and clarification, I think everybody in the room this morning needs little. Because if I said, hey, can you explain this, spiritual gifts and how they work, those of you who came from a Baptist tradition, which is the majority in the room, and I say that a lot, I never want to minimize those of you who didn't come from a Baptist tradition. We have some wonderful Church of Christ tradition rooted people in here. Mm-hmm. Alan, those are your people, right? Alan's not here, smoking on the porch probably. Uh, uh, Caleb's a PK, good friend of ours, great church member. Caleb comes from a Methodist tradition. My people come from a Methodist tradition, actually my great-grandfather's a Methodist pastor. So my uncle's Presbyterian, wonderful man of God, great friend to our staff, been a great coach to us over the years. You come from other traditions, maybe. We're not minimizing that, but most of the... Can we take a poll? Is that okay? Just take a poll. How many of you come from a Baptist tradition? It's the majority of the room. So that's what we speak to mostly. If you came from a Baptist tradition, you've never heard more than two sermons in your whole life on spiritual gifts, probably. You just haven't because we just don't do that even though all this material is sitting right here in our Bible staring at us. Spiritual gifts has been mishandled by our tradition and we're going to see if we can untangle a little bit of that this morning and next week. So we're going to do exegesis live. This is what we would do upstairs with the staff and prep for a sermon. Uh, exegesis is just a, a theological word that means we're going to find a critical interpretation or a critical and when I say critical, I don't mean, I hate you. You're, you're t-. It's not that critical. Like critical means, thinking. Yeah, you know? critical thinking, interpretation of the passage. The way you do that, our staff does this in a five-step process. We can't do the five-step process with you because it's already 1117. I have to do the three-step process with you, okay? So we'll only do the three steps, and we'll leave the last two off. But you'll get the point here real quick. When we do exegesis, we look at the whole paragraph at a time. And we ask these questions. Number one, what is the subject of this paragraph? When we ask what is the subject, we're going to ask a who, what, where, when, how question. That paragraph answers a who, what, where, when, how question. The complement is the next thing we have to find, and the complement is the answer to the question. If you ask a what did Paul, blah, 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 then the complement's going to be Paul, blah, 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 blah. Answer the question, okay? You take the subject and complement, jam them together, work it out a little bit more, and you come up with the big idea of the paragraph. The big idea is the summation of the passage.
1: You know, I would even say that it's the complement step that gets the most uh, problematic with the way that Americans typically read our Bible. So we read this and we say, uh, what's the subject? Paul is clearly discussing the problems with their usage of spiritual gifts. And then we want to say, so what's the answer to that question? We would say, well, we do all these things. And we want to immediately apply it Mm -hmm. before applying it how he applied it. can't apply it until we do that proper exegesis. Right, so it's important to know that the subject and the complement are both rooted in the reality of the moment of writing. That's
0: right. Not in the moment of application. Yeah, We need to know
2: what Paul says before we understand how to apply it to us. Exactly.
0: Application, hook, all that, that's steps four and five. That's way down the list of things we've got to do. Right. We've got to get... The Bible can never mean to us what it didn't mean to them. We have to figure out what it meant to them. 2,000 years of history has passed. It's hard for us to figure some of this out. It was crystal clear to them. They knew exactly what Paul was saying to them. There was nothing ambiguous about this. Is that fair? The problem is we have to untangle it now and figure out what the conversation was. So let's do it live. You ready? Here's 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, I'm going to take one two, and three, okay? Now, concerning spiritual gifts, underline that. Now, concerning spiritual gifts. Does anybody have any idea what this chapter is about to be about? Okay. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, I do not want you, I underlined that, to be unaware. And then I underlined you everywhere it showed up. You know that when you were pagans, You used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. When I'm doing the exegesis, I'm looking at that now. I've just underlined you, 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 you. And I'm thinking about Paul said this is about spiritual gifts. Colon, whatever follows, modifies, brothers and sisters. And I'm sitting here scratching my head already on verse 1 saying, is this about spiritual gifts or is this about people? Here's a clue. You can't separate them. You can't separate them. He's actually going to start talking about people here very quickly. But he's still talking about spiritual gifts. So what was the zero Corinthians question that these three verses answered, it could have been something like this. Which spiritual gift is best? Their question could have been, should every Christian speak in tongues? That's probably what the question was. Their question could have been, Paul, why don't you speak in tongues in the worship service? What we do know with certainty is in this congregation, there's a me-first attitude and very little regard for the health of the body. That's fair, right? Now that helps you frame the context. So here it comes. Here's the exegesis. Here is the subject, if you want to know. The subject of those three verses is, what contrast did Paul use to begin the conversation about spiritual gifts? Does that seem fair? All right, the compliment will be the answer to this question. So what was the contrast? Here's the compliment. Paul contrasted their idolatrous past, To their present spiritual state by showing that a spiritual person calls Jesus their Lord by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Big idea. Takes them and puts them together. Here's the big idea of the first three verses. If you want to write it down, fine. Big idea. Paul defines a spiritual person. Did your ears perk up just then? I asked you a question when we opened. Are you a spiritual person? Paul defines a spiritual person as one who correctly responds to Jesus through the prompting of the Holy Spirit.
1: Which this is in complete opposition to how they would define what a spiritual person is,
0: right? That's why he's a a pastor right there. uh, Exactly.
1: The way that they interpreted spiritual gifts was a complete uh, correlative moment towards how they saw themselves as spiritual people. And so in their minds, if they spoke in tongues, that was the ultimate sign of a spiritual person. It was like the, the seal of the spirit on the believer to say, you are now spiritual. Um, and this was really what Paul spoke against even in chapters 2 and 3. He, he's reasserting the same thing, and that is yeah, well. that one is not spiritual because of the gift. One is spiritual by the Spirit who declares you to be one with Christ, right? Who helps align you and, and who you, so I'm, al- I'm you know, give yourself right allegiance to. It's not to. the
0: gift that makes you a spiritual person. It's the Spirit it's who the spirit makes you a spiritual in you person.
1: You right.
2: That you're supposed to be following and responding exactly. to. Exactly. Okay, Make yeah, sure I'm clear. And Paul wants them to really focus on this. Now, you guys saw there this, this phrase that says, the Spirit can't a spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed. No, no one can speak that if they are really in the Spirit. Now, do you think that that actually happened in the gathering? I doubt that. Because, and here's why I think we think that. Because if someone had actually got up in the service and said that, I feel like Paul would have made a much bigger deal about it than just a passing glance. You guys get what I'm trying to say? This is the only time he, t- he says this yeah. phrase or talks about said, this at grab all. Grab that guy and throw him out. Well, yeah, the, the, yeah. the
1: Corinthians are very quick to title on each other. Yeah, so and, he would have known. Right, he, yeah. he because he addresses very specific circumstances yeah. elsewhere in the book.
2: That's right. So I think what Paul's trying to do is actually he's trying to set up, the uh, again, a, uh, a hyperbolic or an exaggerative point to say, That nobody could say Jesus is cursed. Really what they should be saying, if they are a spiritual person, is that Jesus is Lord. This is actually the central Christian confession. When you got saved, maybe you didn't use these specific words, but this is what you are meaning when you say, Jesus, be my Savior. You are saying, Jesus is now my Lord. And you're declaring not only that he's Lord for you personally, but also he's Lord over everything, period. You know,
1: this reminds me. Uh, you, you a few weeks ago alluded to this moment that I had in India when he abandoned me um, <laughs> on a different continent, uh, where I, I was faced with you know, some serious demonic uh, opposition and oppression. And uh, Pastor Ezekiel, who's one of our, you know, greatest friends and partners overseas, he had me uh, c- go through this whole moment of, you know, helping to. You know, cast out demons in people. And one thing that he said very specifically was, a person who is filled with the spirit of mm-hmm. with demonic spirits is not going to proclaim Jesus as Lord. That's correct. Because yeah. it's only someone who's filled with the spirit who can truly proclaim that. And that was kind of his mark for knowing this person is filled with demonic presence because she refuses to to declare Jesus as yeah. Lord.
2: Yeah, because that means something. Now, I think for us, it's quick. It's just an easy phrase. We we understand what we mean when we say it, but you have to put that phrase in its first century context. The allegiance statement of the first Corinthians day and for the Greco-Roman world was to say Caesar is Lord. And what that means is that you are declaring allegiance to Rome and to Greco-Roman values and blah, blah, blah. Now, when a Christian says Jesus is Lord, They are in direct opposition to the culture and error of their day. Be not
0: conformed to this world, but be transformed. This is what it's all about. That's
2: absolutely right. That's what it's all about. And and that allegiance, I I mean, you you have to understand that that's a big deal. You understand now why Nero starts to burn stuff down, blame the Jews and the Christians, and starts to, to persecute Christians because there's this small sect of people who are declaring another allegiance other than Caesar. Caesar is Lord, and so this is not just a, some words that we say in order to you know, say God is in charge of me or whatever. This is an allegiance affirmation, and that's really what Paul's trying to say it's here. It's very easy for us to criticize
0: those people in the Roman Empire mm-hmm. right now sitting here and looking back 2,000 sure. years and saying these fools declaring allegiance to Caesar above Jesus. We've got a thing working in our own culture right now that if I started talking about this, everybody in the room would get mad at me. So I won't talk about it. (laughs) But your number one allegiance is Jesus Christ. Period. Period. I want you to wrestle with that a little bit. Now, gift is confusing in this conversation. Because I love it when Susan gives me gifts. Because they're for me. Yeah. Can you explain this to the congregation? What in the world are we talking about
1: gift? Sure, yeah. Uh, really all the very best gifts are not reflective of the gift itself or even of the gifted person. Uh, the, any gift. You know, if you give me a gift and you spend time thinking... I think about my, my disciple Trey, who I think is working with the kids right now. Um, it, it was very recently, he gave me this compass... And, you know, a compass to anyone would be just a compass. But he gave it to me and said, um, hey, I, I want you to have this. I want it to go on your desk because I want you to be reminded that you are helping to guide me towards a, a proper relationship with Christ. And I want you to look at that and remember that you are a guiding force in helping me grow in my spiritual maturity. And that gift means something, not because of who I am and really not because of what a compass is, but because Trey gave it to me. Right. And so now what's just a compass is so much more than that not again not because of the compass itself and not because i'm all that great but because it meant something when trey gave it to me i, I think about it also you know let, let's say david and rachel's daughter Avalon. let's say she's having a birthday party right i have a, a son that would that would go to that birthday party and bring a gift right and levi would give Avalon the gift but who's really paying for that gift erica yes It's not Levi. Levi is not paying for the gifts, right? The gift comes from the father to the child for the purpose of someone else. And I think this is a big problem that we've gotten wrong with our understanding of gifts, is that gifts were not meant to be Mm self-consumed, but rather to be given away. Um, And we're not sourced by them in our own Right. Just like Levi can bring a, you know, a Lego set to Avalon for her birthday. He didn't buy the Lego set. I gave him the Lego set for the purpose of being a blessing, being a blessing to someone else. And this is our, the biggest shift in gifts that we need to get over. Because one thing that we've done is we've said, okay, let's, let's take a test and figure out our spiritual gifts. Okay. Here's your three spiritual gifts. And then we feel really great about ourselves because we've got these three spiritual gifts. And then what we say is, okay, who can use me now? Like, where can, where can I yeah. make a great display of my gifts? Right. right? Instead of the purpose being external. Instead, what we did is we said the gift is all about me, not about the giver. Mm. Or not about
0: the ultimate recipient. Or not about the recipient. Which in this context is we, yeah. the body of Christ. So the gifts are given by the Father.
1: Through, through us, hearts, through the believer, through the spirit-filled person, I would say. To, to the church body. To yeah. the body. Yeah.
0: So now this is a massive shift in your thinking. The gifts are not yours. The gifts are given from the Father. They come through us. Not for us. Through you. Through us. You are
1: all Levi in the in the metaphor, which, you know, good luck with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yet you're all Avlin too. Yeah. Right. So your gifts are not yours; they're ours. Yes. Your gifts are not yours. Yeah. God gave them to you to give to us. Right.
1: Yeah, and actually, this is a really this is a strong metaphor if I say uh, because what Avalyn wants this year, let's say she's really into Frozen and she gets no. a, a Frozen toy, next year she's not going to be into Frozen. Right. Right? And so if Levi's mindset was I'm gonna give the same exact gift every single year because that's what my test said.
2: Because she loved that years ago. Then that's
1: not helpful to Avalon the next year when she doesn't care about frozen anymore. That's not where she's at now. Right? And so the gifts are very I don't I mean flexible fluid, you know? What what is useful to the church body now may not be what is useful to the church body next year. But as long as we focus on what gifting I have let me give you a good, then a good then it right. stays rigid and it
0: doesn't right. allow it to, to you know, flex with the needs of the church body. Right. When I first started doing missions work in Romania, uh, I would watch Elijah's dad get up about four in the morning, drive down to the church, light a fire in the furnace in the basement. or It depends on where the fireplace was, the stove was that heated the church building. He'd go light a fire about four in the morning, tend to it for an hour, let it get good and going, go back home, shower, get dressed for church. We'd all come back to a warm building. What the church needed was a fire starter. And men and women in every church of Romania did this for a thousand years. Yeah. Okay. Now they have gas furnaces in Romania with thermostats and they come on at this prescribed time, and the room is warm in just, just a little bit, they no longer need that. Things have changed. Right. Once upon a time in America, what the church needed was a horse-riding preacher to show up on a circuit, or mm-hmm. somebody who could hitch horses to wagons, or somebody who could... You see, the church has changed. Times have changed. Needs will therefore change. Therefore, gifting will also change. So now Paul's about to take that definition of gift, and we'll see if you're right or not in just a minute, and he's about to elaborate upon it. I'm going to use the NIV paragraph breaks. The NIV breaks the paragraphs different than the CSB, and it breaks it in such a way that the exegesis is crystal clear, the way the NIV does the paragraph breaks. So I'll tell you what they are, but we'll break it NIV style, even though you're using the CSB. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 12.4. Now, there are different gifts. I want you to underline different and same every time it shows up. Now, there are different gifts, but same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God produces each, produces each gift in each person. So, clearly what's being set up here, I'm noticing a contrast between different and same. Mm-hmm. I've seen the whole Trinity show up. Yeah. Spirit, Lord, and God all right here. So when we talk about spirit gifting, we're not saying the Holy Spirit's doing something that the Father's not approving of or the Son's not being glorified. They're all working in harmony as the Spirit moves. This is God. He's not separate from God. He is God. Okay. So notice now Paul provides synonyms,
1: definitions. Yeah, all for the same thing. He's using spiritual gifts. Three different words to describe the same thing, which is gifts. Activities, ministries, gifts, they're all the same thing. Uh, And the gifts are, uh, what was the word you said? Manifestations. Manifestations manifestations are like expressions of the Spirit at work in various people. And then this is a phrase that actually comes up in the text, for the common good Mm -hmm. of the body. And so Paul's main point of this chapter isn't about the gifts, it's about the body as a whole. So we don't own a gift. The gift is not for yours. To, to take. It's not a self-consumption of gifts. We, own, we have the gifts for the sake of the body. It's the Spirit empowering you to accomplish the edification of the church body, both in and out of our church assembly. Okay, and I
2: want to say that, that what you just said stands as a massive shift from what I was taught growing up. Correct? Right. This passage, whenever you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you're like, yeah, yeah, body metaphor, but which is your gift? And I think that we have focused so much on this, this list that Paul gives out. Where, that we've you, where missed, are you in the list? Yes. Yeah. That we've missed really what Paul's saying. There are, I think, four or five verses that deal with a specific gift in this entire chapter. So, in the entire Bible. And there's 31 verses in this chapter. So you tell me, do you think that Paul's point... I mean, yes, he's talking about spiritual gifts. Don't get me wrong. But do you think that his overall point is to say... Where do you find yourself in this list, or do you think he's trying to say something else? And we're going to unpack so, that a little bit more. But. Let me,
0: as quick as I can yep. now, time's moving. Let yep. me do exegesis on several blocks, yep. and you can see what Paul's really talking about. So let me, there, we just read 4 to 6. Mm-hmm. Here is the subject. What contrast does Paul make to help the Corinthians understand spiritual gifts? Because the contrast, they're different but same, different mm-hmm. but same, different but same. Here's the answer to that question. Paul contrasted the different gifts, many different gifts, but the same spirit. This is the contrast. Here's the big idea. Put them all together. Here's what we come up with. These verses, this paragraph means Paul taught the Corinthians that although they had diverse gifts, those gifts were all from the same spirit and should be a point of unity, not a point of disunity. Because the whole thing, we've run 12 chapters with a church filled with disunity, and he keeps trying to reunify them around the truth again, the gospel and the truth. He said, you took spiritual gifts, and you made it. See, nanny, nanny, boo, I've got a better one than you. And you start breaking the church into factions. The more gifted, the less gifted.
2: That's not the way the Spirit works. And I'm a real spiritual person because I have that. And Paul is here saying, no, you're a spiritual person because you have the Spirit, and now it will manifest in these ways. Same
0: Spirit. You have the same Spirit as I have. I have the same Spirit you have. We have the same Spirit you have. Right. We all have different gifts. We're all united, not because of our gifts. We're united because of the Spirit. spirit. We have the same Spirit in us. All right, let me do exegesis on the next section. Here's seven. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. Here's the phrase. For
1: For the common good. good.
0: Good. I want you to underline to one or to another. Watch this. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, different uh, performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, 11. One and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. Here's the subject. What was Paul's goal in listing many different manifestations of the spirit? Answer is the compliment That all of this diversity was designed and sourced by God for the church's edification. Big idea? Each member of the body is given manifestations of the spirit for the common good of the body. Now there's your list of spiritual gifts, the biggest list in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Let's unpack that for just a second.
2: Yeah, so I want you to notice something. Um, Again, Paul's anticipating chapter 14's coming up. He's got a specific thing he wants to talk about in the... Uh, in the body that's happening, in the church assembly time that's happening. So he intentionally places something at the end of this list. Tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, we have to ask the question, why does he do that? I think we automatically think because something's at the end of the list, Paul is trying to diminish it. And if you grew up Baptist, that is what you were taught. Is that Paul is trying to diminish tongues and say that it's not important or whatever. I'm here to tell you that he's not doing that. It is a spiritual gift, isn't it, in the list? It is, absolutely. What Paul is actually trying to do is bring the Corinthians back into balance. Okay? This is a, nor- a very normal Greek literary device. To highlight the thing that you want to talk about and emphasize is to put it at the end of a list, not to diminish it in any way. So really, his, his main point is to say that you guys have made tongues this exclusive thing. If you speak in tongues, therefore you are a spiritual person and not just any kind of spiritual person. You are an elite kind of spiritual person. But what he's really doing is not saying tongues is not a thing anymore quit worrying about it. What he's actually trying to say is there are all of these gifts here. if, you've, he's actually, overlooked, if you've
0: overlooked all of these
2: Yeah, then you've missed the whole point of what a spiritual person is in the first place. do Not it's me. It's you, it's not me. So so <laughs> it's you, it's not, that's right. I'm so, so he's intentionally putting yep this list of gifts, in order to emphasize diversity. The Church of Corinth want to emphasize uniformity. They want to say, you have to speak in tongues to be a spiritual person. And Paul says, no, you have to be filled by the Spirit of God to be a spiritual person. There's,
0: and here's a whole bunch of spiritual gifts yes. you guys don't even
2: talk about. And actually, well, we're going to talk about this in a, in a minute, but actually we think that this list um, is what? an ad hoc list, yeah. meaning it's not exhaustive the exhaustive this is not a theology on every gift that ever possibly could have happened
0: Ma- major shift in thinking from your Baptist tradition yeah
2: and we'll tell you why we think that here in a moment but it, I just want to it,
0: well it's not an exhaustive list is going to be our contention uh, it, and he's writing a list. That deals with the Corinthians context. That's right. He wouldn't be talking to them about things that are going on down the street or with another church. Right. He's talking to them about their problems. Yeah. And he's saying all you want to talk about is tongues, 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 see how spiritual we are. Yeah. And he's like there's a host of spiritual gifts that edify the body that are not tongues. Right. Tongues is one of them, you know, yep. a, a spiritual gift. Yep. But it's not the most edifying one. And there's a whole bunch of others That's right. that are not even getting
2: in on the on the conversation. Well, and the fact that he points out wisdom and, and knowledge even within that conversation shows that there's something specific happening here. Yeah.
1: yeah, there is something specific. But he's also making a list that is diverse enough right. to apply to a broad range of people. That's right. Um, because, again, the... Congregation in Corinth is very diverse in yeah. itself. So, it, when, if you're writing in your notes around verses eight through ten, write the word diversity because that is an important point to make. That is is that here. there are diversity in gifts, yes. but it's all unified around the same that's spirit. Right. Um, and yeah. it is that is that gifting of the one spirit that is the point that's supposed to be when, taken when away? When we were
0: prepping this. Uh, going through this in study time, you immediately, your mind, went to Romans 12. Right. I think everybody ought to write Romans 12 in your journal right here. Um, the sister passage. Yeah. This yeah. is the only other significant list of gifts. Well, Ephesians well, 4 is a, a lesser thing going on. But yeah. uh, Romans 12 is the other place that spiritual gifts are discussed. Yeah. Well, and David,
1: you mentioned just a second ago, we don't think Corinthians is an exhaustive list. And part of the reason why we think that is because in Romans, there's a different list of gifts. Completely. And so we can't ignore the fact, if it was an exhaustive list in one place, it would be the same in another. Right. But in Romans 12, we have a. Let me, let me read it. It's verses 1 through 2. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God.
2: I, I, I want to interrupt. Sorry. Uh, y'all notice here, Paul's about to go on and, and say some stuff to the Romans, but y'all notice it's a very similar beginning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-3. through 3. The first thing that we have to get right is that Jesus is Lord. That allegiance statement sets up what the Spirit will then do in you as a result of you actually being it's, a spiritual person. If
0: Jesus so. is Lord, right. I give my life in service. That's right. Not just a gift. no, no. no. All of my life, that's right. I call him Lord. I'm willing to do whatever he tells me to do. Yeah. That's what it means for him. you. Can't say you're my Lord, your but no, I'm not going to do that. Right, right. You just said no. He's not your Lord. Exactly. <laughs> so then he goes on in Romans 12. Yeah. yeah. So then
1: in verse three it says, "For the grace given to me, I tell everyone, uh, tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one." Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness.
0: So this is a different list. Completely different list. And what we want you to see is in neither place is Paul trying to say, and now I will give you an Encyclopedia Britannica explanation where I will delineate every way the Holy Spirit works through a believer in a church. You couldn't write that book. That book would be longer than the world. I mean, you couldn't write that book. Nor could you constrain the Holy Spirit to say, the Spirit can only do this. Yeah. Yeah. One of the quotes my my uncle pounded into our heads (laughs) is, thou shalt not say to the Spirit, thou shalt not. You cannot say to the Holy Spirit, you can only do this. You're not allowed to say to God, this is all you're allowed to do, God. God. So what Paul's saying is, this is the way the Spirit works. Here's some great examples mm-hmm. prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, a, a teaching, a showing mercy. Those okay. are the ones you just read, but those are not the same ones in Corinth. Right. No. Because Paul's saying, just open your understanding to Romans 12, 1 and 2, presenting your body to, be, to God and saying, you're my Lord. He'll show you what he wants you to yeah. do, and nothing is off the table. Whatever he leads you to give, pray, serve—that's exactly what gifts of the spirit are. Okay. That's right. There is no exhaustive list in the Bible.
2: Yeah, because Paul's real point is is not the gifts so much. Paul's real point is the edification of the body, and we know that because he's about to now give us really the, the bigger chunk of the entire chapter, which is now an ilu- a long illustration or a so long the, metaphor. So the chapter
0: starts this way. Now concerning spiritual gifts, right, brothers, isn't it? And then he's about to leave
2: spiritual gifts. Yes. and now he's going to talk about the body
0: for one whole chapter.
2: Basically, it's, it's we won't basically come the back to spiritual
0: chapter. gifts really until he mentions it in 13, right. and, and the then he goes into 14. So let so me continue stuff. with exegesis because yeah. the time's getting away. I'm in verse 12. Um, I'm in verse 12.
1: For just as the body is one and has many underline parts, underline one and
0: underline many.
1: And all the parts of that body, though many, are one body. So also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many.
0: I I want to pause right here. Jews or Greeks, slave or free. What's missing? What's missing? uh, uh, Male or female. And why would he not put male and female? Because that's his formula. Well, he just dealt with it. Because he just... Give it to me, because he he just 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 dealt with it (laughs) in the previous few paragraphs of chapter 11. He just dealt with this whole issue. And what
2: we're referring to there is Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, which is what we think is the tradition Tradition that he gave in uh, chapter 11, verses 1 and whatever. Subject, what
0: metaphor does Paul use to explain the many-to-one reality in the church? Compliment, what's the answer to that question?
1: Paul uses the metaphor of one body with many members.
0: Here's the big idea then. Paul uses the metaphor of a human body to explain the dynamic of church members working together as one unit.
2: It is not unity despite diversity. We have to move from that language. It is unity because of diversity. Because the Spirit is not God the Father. Jesus is not God the Father. And God the Father is neither one of those. There is diversity in the very nature of the Trinity. But they're all God. But they're all God. They're all the same thing. They're all one thing working together, for the same goals, right? And, and they are all empowering us, right, through the Spirit in order to reflect them, to be like them. We are supposed to be diverse. We're not supposed to be people of uniformity. We're supposed to be unity in diversity. Because the Spirit has bound us together in the That's body right. of Christ. Let me
0: do two sections of exegesis quickly. We've got to move fast now. Here's verse 15. If the foot should say, it's one of my favorite sections right here, both of these two. If the foot should say, <laughs> now, do you understand what Paul's doing? If the foot should say, well, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Here is the subject. How did Paul develop the body metaphor... ...to address the Corinthian disunity? And here's the answer to that question. Paul personified the foot and the ear and made them talk... ...to show the absurdity of all the members being the same. The Corinthians, big idea, is this. The Corinthians were arguing for the same gift. We all should have the same gift. This elite gift. The best gift. So Paul showed the reason behind the diversity of gifts. Let me do one more section quickly. Here's verse 21. gets even better. The eye cannot say, do your eyes ever talk? The eye cannot say to the hand, what? I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body. You see this theme running? No division in the body but that all the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Subject, how does Paul develop the body metaphor to show the importance of all the members? Answer, here's the compliment. Paul uses personification to make the body parts start insulting each other saying we don't need you isn't that clever the way paul did that now here's the big idea of the paragraph paul reduces their behavior to absurdity to show that the body needs all the members
1: paul definitely wants to talk about all the gifts I mean, it's clear. He, yeah. he's, he's listing them off on, sure. on purpose. The whole context is about the body as a whole. And so he, he mentions the individual portions, but it's all keeping in line with what's the big idea here? What's the main thing? And that's mm-hmm. the body. Mm-hmm. God, or Paul wants, wants the Corinthians and ultimately us to realize that this is an illustration of how vital each member is to the church. So it's not about each member's individual importance It's about your importance to and for the sake of the body. The whole point is not about, you know, let's squash our individual, you know, talents and giftings. That's not the thing. It's that we've misdirected the purpose of those giftings. One thing that we're talking about is sometimes people like to say, like, okay, well, I have a gift of, I have a pastoral gift. This church has a pastor, so I'm going to go find myself somewhere else to be. I'm going to amputate me as the hand thinking that the hand is more important than the body right. and go find myself another body to franken myself Frankenstein myself to <laughs> yeah right um, and people do this often you know well that church wasn't using my let, gifts let,
0: let's speak frankly I think it's okay with our church Uh the, the in the Metroplex we have made a Frankenstein out of the body of Christ yeah we have church members who get their feelings hurt over nonsense And say, I'm leaving this church and I'm going to go join myself to someone else. That's to have a very low view of the church. You're not understanding, according to Paul, what the body of Christ is all about, nor how highly God regards his body in this context. You can't just interchange body parts like this.
1: It was never the design.
0: Never. There was, well, the original design was there to be one Christian church in one community.
1: Well, this is, a, this is a better view. And you can understand why it's a better model when you really think about it in the New Testament context. Where did the people in, the, in Corinth worship together? They worshiped together in one spot. They didn't find the people who were most aligned to them, sure. or they didn't find the, the subset of believers who were most in need of their particular brand of talent. Mm-hmm. They found the believers right. and unified themselves together based solely on proximity. It's like, well, I, I, don't, I don't like this guy and I don't get along with them, but we both believe and are you know, indwelled by the same spirit. And so we're gonna to join together despite our differences and figure out a way to do this together. And you can see how that's actually a much better and healthier view of church, instead of this kind of thing where you go around and shop for a church.
0: But I can't have that view and champion being a Baptist at the same time. Right. I've got a problem. I can't champion that view I can't hold that viewpoint that you just articulated and champion being a Pentecostal at the same time, because the Pentecostals and the Baptists don't agree. So I'm constantly magnifying the disunity.
1: Well, isn't that really what denominations are all about—is magnifying our differences? But when you really think about it, you know, when you when you look for a church, a lot of times, let's just—I uh, mean, I, I would, I'll use my family as an example. We're longtime Baptist people. When we moved from California to Texas we looked for a church that had Baptists in the name. And it's not because we felt, you know, it, it's not for any reason other than we knew that the, dif- the differences in doctrinal alignment are going to be most like we think in a Baptist church. And we, we went to it because we knew that it was marked by its differences. Hmm. As opposed to
2: really going to... A um, church to see if it aligned a with church. the scripture. Well,
1: and I think there's value to this. Obviously, people approach scripture you know, from sure. different lenses, and we come up with different interpretations of things, and there are nuanced differences that are important, and I, I get wanting to be familiar with doctrine. I don't know what with, to do with I, I don't know what to do with it. But you can see, and so I'm not, I'm not saying, like, let's just all go off and be, you know, whatever. Uh, but you can see There's how the New Testament model is a better model yeah. than... What well, we've
2: got right now. ...than
1: a model marked by its
0: differences. Well,
2: and, and Paul's point is not, so go shop for a church. Have you, have you, ever, that, have you ever been to a small point.
0: town... Where the Baptist church is right here, and then across the street is the church. Methodist church, and on the other across corner is the, the church. church of Christ, and on the other corner is the... Is the other church. Baptist church. And the other Baptist, three Baptist and churches. And then the third yes. Baptist okay. church. And, and they all come in, and you know you're just looking across the street, and what you're saying is, see, we speak in tongues over here. See, we don't over here. See, we have a KJV over here. See, we don't, women don't wear pants over here. See, we don't let our women talk over here. See, we do this over here. And all we're doing is magnifying our differences and stick it in everybody's face. This is exactly what Paul and the New Testament is speaking against. And I don't know that we can fix it. Yes. A mess, isn't
1: it? Well, and so we, we've, done a few, we've done a few things to kind of combat it a little bit. I mean, we, that's why we, we really honed in what our core beliefs were. Sure. And we said, you know what, if someone comes from a different background, we're still going to wrap our arms around them and let them as a, a member of this body because we understand that we are unified by the Spirit okay. and not so our differences.
0: Is, this is why I can say we have church members that speak in tongues. Yeah,
1: because we see that as a, a non-essential element of the gospel.
0: They grew up in that tradition. Grew up in a Pentecostal or charismatic tradition. They grew up praying, speaking in tongues in their prayer life. Um, we'll talk about that, in chapter 14. Park that for a minute. Let me. I'm, time's out. Let me just keep going. Here's the last paragraph, 30, 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Who is the body of Christ? Who? All of us. We are. We are. And this is one of the two places the Holy Spirit of Almighty God has chosen to dwell. Right here in this body. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a better way. Now, he won't show you for two weeks, and Jeremy will preach that sermon on chapter 13, which is the ultimate zenith of the chapter, okay? Let me do the exegesis on this paragraph. How does Paul, here's the subject, how does Paul answer the question, of whether we should all have the same gifts. That's the subject of this paragraph. Here is the compliment. He answers the question with seven rhetorical questions, all of which demand an answer of no. So let me, let me ask you the questions real quick. Are all apostles? Let me hear from the congregation. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? You see Paul just make his point to them? Because they think Being a spiritual person means you have to have a spiritual superpower. And the spiritual superpower is if you speak in tongues, you are really a spiritual Christian. You are like this thing now that you are like the angels. And Paul has now with seven rhetorical questions and a chapter dismantled their argument completely. And shown that it's not about you and your gift. It's about we, the body, do all have no. No, no, and no. Here's the big idea. Paul responds to the Corinthians questions by emphatically stating that all believers do not have the same gifts. So, if I were to ask you this morning, do all Christians speak in tongues as the ultimate evidence that they are born again? Okay, there's whole denominations in America built on answering that question, yes. The Pentecostals, the Charismatics, some of the Gateway crowd, the Assemblies of God answered this question exactly the opposite of the way you just answered it. They say yes, that speaking in tongues is the ultimate sign that you're a spiritual person.
2: And then on the other end, the Baptists have said, Holy Spirit, you cannot operate that way anymore. The Baptists have
0: said, what Holy Spirit?
2: (laughs) Who? Holy who? Exactly. And, and so they have made a, an opposite distinction to say, just because we don't see it means that it must not happen anymore. And so what's normal for me in my church setting means is normal for every believer. And if you speak in tongues, that may not be the spirit, that may be a spirit or something strange like that. And and that's not what Paul's point so, is at so all. So his
0: point is that the spirit will empower yep. the members with supernatural gifting, yep. To edify the whole body, God will put a gift into your hands It's going to come through you and to the body yeah. whatever then the body needs is how the spirit is going to gift us
2: yeah. and that's so, and that is the sign of a mature believer as well now I want you to
0: hang your hat on this whatever the body needs yeah.
1: well and remember that phrase the common good
0: yeah. whatever
1: is for the common good of the
0: body so let's let's Our time's getting away. Let's talk about some real life examples so the congregation can really put their teeth into this. And, like, what would be an example of us as the pastoral team seeing the Holy Spirit working, gifting someone to minister to the body? What would that look
1: like? I mean, a great example would be just as as recently as a month or two ago when we came back with Wednesday night services, um, Erica McNair. Uh, asked asked her crew, okay, who's available to help watch the kids on Wednesday nights, and got basically no response. And so, um, J- <laughs> so JD and Janet Rudder, then who, he's one of our elders. They're in, in grandparent stage now, both spiritually and physically. Um, they they have an opportunity. They see there's a need in my church body. I don't really like kids that much except for my own, but, you know, I guess I can watch them. So they go and watch your kids. So on Wednesday nights when you drop off a child between the ages of, what, two and four, they are watching your kids, not because they feel particularly called or able to do it, but because they saw a need in the church body. They said... I guess the Spirit's gifting me to fill that need.
2: And also, so my, my daughters are doing gymnastics right now on Wednesday nights, so they're, they're missing that, that time block. And yeah. they're sad every week when they come to pick me up from church because they missed Miss Janet and Mr. J.D.'s class. And if you were to ask
1: them, do you, do you think, J.D. and Janet, do you think you guys are particularly yeah. gifted to do this? They'd be
2: like, oh, no. No, but the evidence of that, but the evidence, uh, see they're, but wrong. Ask your kids, they're wrong. But ask, ask, your, kids. ask your kids, they'll kids. tell you something different. Because the Holy Spirit is gifting them to be thinking in new ways, to be creative in new ways, to give these little cute gifts to the kids that they just love the the Rudders when they're in there.
1: And it's a gift that the Spirit gave to meet the common good of the body. And it's a gift that maybe wouldn't have popped up on a
0: spiritual gifts test, but it's just as valid and reasonable. Absolutely. I'm thinking about how Andrew Armstrong has stepped in with some technology
1: do you know what happened okay so over over quarantine when we were first out and we were just on facebook live right we don 't have the technological infrastructure to make a weekly podcast. The weekly podcasts that go out as a you know a mirror of our sunday sermons that 's heard by people all over the world. I wish I could show you the the demographic breakdown of who 's listening to those podcasts it 's incredible the reach that our little church in Fort Worth has in continents it's incredible andrew armstrong said wait there's no way to do the podcast if we just keep doing facebook live from your living room and so what he did was he figured out a way to get the audio probably illegally i'm sure uh, (laughs) um he he figured out a way to get the audio from our services clean them up and put them out there because he said wait there's a big need right now and I'm particularly capable of handling that. Hmm. And so for the common good, of not just this local body, but for the church as, a, as yeah. a bigger body, I'm going to meet that need. And that's a gifting that is not going to be found in 1 Corinthians. Yeah.
0: So what we're really talking about is a shift in our thinking. We're not going to take a test to figure out what our spiritual gift is. We're going to say, what does the body need? That's right. And this is really what we've been talking about yeah. in preparation for all of this series on 1 yeah. Corinthians. If the body is edified, if we need preschool workers, is our biggest need as a church right now, then we believe that spirit-filled people will be rising up and saying, I'm on it. Yep. There it is. Because, again, the gifting is Wait, not... Let me just ask a question real quick. Are you a, spirit, are you a spiritual person? Spiritual person is one who is listening to the Holy Spirit responding. Spiritual gifts just means, by Paul's own definition, activity, ministry, manifestation. Right. Yep. Spiritual person is doing spiritual activity by the leading of the Holy Spirit yep. to meet the needs of the, the body. Just yeah, remember you... the gifts are from the Father through you yeah, to, the to the body. So I'm asking you a very specific question now. What needs of the body are you meeting? You want to answer this question again? Are you a spiritual person? What needs of the body are you meeting? This is how Paul is now defining spiritual gifts to the church at Corinth. You talk about a shake-up, and this is the shake-up we need right here in Fort Worth, Texas right now. Listen, your giving is a spiritual gift. Yes, it's in Romans. It's in Romans. I made the list in Romans, actually, yeah. And week by week when we say, here's what's going, here's what would edify, you know what would edify the body of Christ? a video screen right now. Uh, you know what would edify the body of Christ, you know? And we put these needs in front of you and some of you are like, I'd take care of that. That was a supernatural moment that just happened. That was the Holy Spirit of God saying, you've got this. You have the means to do this, knock it out, and you knock it out hey, we need help in preschool. We need volunteers in elementary. I'm on it. I got it. It,
1: it, Yeah, I mean, I'll even even get even more pointed than that. I can't tell you how often I hear people say, hey, we really need to amp up our live stream. Why are we not amping up our live stream? And the answer is, I have no one available to amp up the live stream.
0: So, I... I, I You're saying to me that a spiritual gift could be
1: a gift of technology, of course, because that's meeting the common good of the body. Right. It's that we have a there's like, please, God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But but it's that the church body has a a
0: very specific need. Here's how history has changed. You're listening to the podcast driving in your car on the way to work. Do you realize what edifies the body of Christ today? They didn't need, they didn't yep. need service producers and technicians in the first century right. to get the message out. They didn't have this. This is the way we do it today. Right. And God's equipping the, the body of Christ to get, get it out there, to to do whatever edifies. We this is a radical rethinking of spiritual gifts, is what I'm saying. You're thinking, well, I prophecy or talk in tongues. No, turn knobs, splice video. <laughs> Send broadcast. Yeah. Watch a two-year-old. Watch a two-year-old. Change a diaper for Jesus. <laughs> Those are spiritual gifts yeah. because they edify the body of Christ. So we we'll, could change, we'll, we'll change our language. We could change here. our language around
2: here because it's not your gift; it's a gift that goes for the body. And I think that our language has been so narrow and so specific. We are on purpose saying it needs to get a little bit. Less specific, well, we and a also have less to, narrow. We
1: also have to start moving away from like a spiritual gifts test. Yeah, because a so spiritual true. gifts test is gonna it's no different than like a personality test sure. or an Enneagram or any of these things that are gonna tell you what you're good at, maybe what some of your natural wiring is. But yeah. what you're good at may not be what the, what, body needs. what the body needs right now.
0: But if God brought you here, he brought you here to meet the needs of the body. Yeah. Right. And the whole point of a supernatural gift is it may not be my Briggs Myers. Sure number one, number two, number three. Yeah. The whole it course. often is, I don't want to it say it never
1: is, but, yeah. but you I, find moments where people who are maybe not particularly skilled are strangely and wonderfully empowered sure. by the Spirit to do something that a test would have never told them. And
2: God made you with latent talents and abilities. So of course he's going to empower those latent talent and abilities in supernatural ways to produce something. So uh, of course, if you're a hospitable person, he'll amp that up, absolutely. But also, what's the needs of the body? It's not just, well, how do I look for hospitality today because that's what I'm good at. No, it's how do I serve the body? So what are we
0: going to do with spiritual gifts, written tests, or electronic tests? How are we going to deal with this?
1: We scheduled bonfire. (laughs) No. Um, No, I, I I think there's there's validity to sure. these kind of personality
0: tests. We just have to see them as that. But I think yeah. we need to not take them for a while. We're not going to systematically. It's, mess, it's messing take them. our thinking up.
1: Right. We really the truest spiritual gifts test is what does my body need? What mm-hmm. does my church body need? Mm-hmm. And the, and that'll tell you what the spirit is currently gifting you towards. So okay. So then, how do I find?
0: There my you scriptures? go. Now there's the question to ask. So how if it's not a spiritual gifts test and answering a series of questions? You know, and I say, oh, look, but I tested in, so this is what I need to go ask the pastor. Do you need another pastor? Because I tested high in pastoring. So that's the messed up thinking. So if we're not going to take spiritual gifts tests to figure out what our spiritual gifts are, then how are we going to figure out what our spiritual gifts are?
1: Well, (laughs) I mean, probably the best answer is that you have to be within the community of the body to know what it needs.
0: Okay, so can everybody unpack that without us explaining that? How are you going to know what the needs of the body are if you're not involved with the body? Yeah. Do you know anybody in the body? Do you all hang out with the body? Are you an active part of the body? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. If there's no community in your Christianity, it's going to be almost impossible to figure out what the body needs.
1: Well, and it's one of these things, too, just very practically. You have, if you're a covenant member, then you're being contacted by deacons constantly. And part of that contact is to learn what the needs of the body are. And so you can, you can brush off the contact and say like, oh, I'm fine, thank you, or just ignore the text message. But what a better thing to do would be to expose the needs of the body, because once a deacon hears about a need, I promise you, they are on it. And they're gonna meet that. They, I mean, the chairs you're sitting in tonight are there because this room was a disaster 12 hours, I mean, no, not 12, 20 hours ago, and deacons put it back together because there was a common need, a common to edify good the body to, bo- to edify the body. So it, that is a really practical it's way. Glamorous
0: spiritual work of shop back.
1: Right, and one other thing that you could do is as a deacon contacts you, because the deacons hear the situations the most, you could say like, hey, I really appreciate your prayers. What can I be doing for my body? Mm-hmm. What kind of needs can I be meeting mm-hmm. for the church? Because they'll know. Yeah. Your discipleship leader will know. This right here. If you're, if you're being invested in by someone who is tuned in with, with the heartbeat of this church, then if you ask them, hey, how do you see God empowering me to meet some of the needs? They're going to know the answer to and that And it's question. very
0: common for disciples to serve where their mentors serve. Right. It's just a natural thing that happens.
1: Because because the disciple maker sees the need where they are actively serving and says, Hey, I, I, I you know, serve the
0: children's church because yeah. I saw a need.
1: I can't tell you how many disciples Nathan Posey has forced him to sound booth.
0: <laughs> because he knows the needs that exist up there to have more help. Right. And so as he disciples them and they're like, Well, how can I serve the body? He's like, Well, I see some areas yep. and he pulls them right into his area of service to meet
2: But all of these are tied together by being in community. And, and here's what I want to be clear about saying too is in this gift list that we're reading these certainly are gifts so just because we're saying these aren't the only gifts doesn't now mean we get to make up whatever we want to get to make up that's, that's, not, that's not what we're saying but criticism we also to, is not a gift criticism is not a gift, that's absolutely right and so, and so what, we, what we are saying though is that Cornerstone Baptists in this room you need to start being open to what the Spirit wants to do in your life the Spirit's not like this weird thing that we need to say is off limits anymore, we need to be open to what the spirit will do. Do you is guys it, want to see miracles? Is it
0: okay if I ask the spirit?
2: Yeah. He's God, right? Yeah.
0: So it's okay if I say uh, spirit of God, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Is this okay? Yeah. I'm not like this is not heresy to yeah. ask no. God what no. he wants me to do for the body. No, of course not. And Most see, point. and see then how the Spirit leads me to find yeah. those needs. Yeah. And again, you know, some, some, sometimes you can't find a thing because you're not looking for it. Right. Seek and you shall find, find, find Jesus milk. said. Yeah. You're looking yeah. to That's meet great. a need. You're looking to be used of the Spirit. The Spirit's going to show you areas to be. Let me, let me see if I can get, get to the close on this. we we've, we've been asking, what is my gift? Now this is our history. We come from. You know, uh, we do talk about gifts here at Cornerstone, but the way we've talked about them in the last ten years is we've been saying, you know, find your, what is my gift? And again, it puts the spotlight on me.
1: Right, there's an amplification on the hand and not an amplification of the body. Right,
0: it's not, what we should have been asking is what does the church body need? Yeah. And then saying to the Spirit of God, what, what does the church body need? Oh, Spirit, would you empower me to fill this need? That would be my gift.
1: He specifically says to desire these things. Ask for them. Seek them. Find the good that's needed. Find the the thing that's missing in the cogs of the machine of, of the church body and meet those. But ask God to empower you to do them. Ask him to spiritually gift you to meet those needs.
2: Yeah, because every member is needed. That's right. And it's not just, by the way, it's not just in these however many walls we have of the church the spiritual gifts are not exclusive to this body. However, a good indicator of you being a spiritual person will be how you impact this body. Yeah. But there is a, a larger body outside of these walls that also needs your gifts in order to build yeah. that body as well. So we're not being exclusive to, the, to this place necessarily. However, that's a great first start for many of us. We have no more time. We got to stop right yeah. there.
0: I think that's enough for now. Next week we'll do chapter 14. I'll take tongues and take it a little bit further. Jeremy will come back and finish the book the next week. For now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Here's what I want you to do in prayer for just a minute. Could we have that first conversation right now with the Holy Spirit as a church family? Why don't you just say, Spirit of Almighty God, you live in me. I'm thankful for you. You were given to me as a gift, and I'm thankful you live within me. Now, Spirit of God, I'm asking you to show me how I can meet the needs of the body. Father, speak to me about what the needs are. Open my eyes, open my ears, open my understanding that I might know how to edify this church, which is your body. And God, as you show me, empower me in a supernatural way to meet those needs for your body. God, if you'll show me, I will surrender my gift to you. I won't hold on to it. I'll let it go through me to the body. Father, we bow before you this morning, and I know you're hearing the prayers of hundreds and hundreds of your children this morning. As we rededicate our lives to you, you said present your bodies a living sacrifice, and as best as we know, Lord, that's what we're doing right now. We're calling you, Lord, and we're saying, here am I. Take my mind, my gifts, my talents, Lord, even my weaknesses, and empower them supernaturally. That I might bless and edify your body and therefore build your kingdom. I rededicate myself freshly to you. Lord, help me to never say that's not my thing. But when I see a need, cry for your empowerment to meet the need. God, would you transform us as a church that our thinking would be correct. And Holy Spirit, would you forgive us for messing it up? Father, forgive me of mis-teaching it, misapplying it. I know I have to give an account of that. And God, I pray that you'd help us not, not to perpetuate a false understanding, but Lord, to embrace the truth this morning. Thank you for hundreds and hundreds of teachable people that want to follow the truth Father, bless our week now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to have you stand together, say the Lord's Prayer. We'll go to our homes. You ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Paul blessed the Corinthians with these words. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday morning.